Hi y'all, this is Carrie D from Coffee with Carrie. It's such a privilege to do this adventure we call homeschooling with you. Thank you for tuning in again and for walking this homeschooling journey with us. If you're new to us, you can find us on Instagram at Coffee with Carrie Consultant or at our website, coffeewithcarrie.org. It's our prayer that our website, our homeschooling consulting services, and our podcast will help you homeschool one step at a time, one day at a time, and one cup of coffee at a time. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and take a little coffee break with me. Today, we're going to dig deep into the book of Nehemiah. We can learn from Nehemiah how to replace fear with faith and how to have victory over defeat. Whether you're feeling defeated in your homeschooling attempts or you're feeling like a failure in your parenting, we can use Nehemiah's example to help us not only recognize the enemy's tricks, but how to respond to his tactics. There is so much to unpack and to learn from Nehemiah that we broke up this podcast into two parts. In this podcast, we'll meet the enemy and discuss his first three plays in his playbook. In our next podcast, we'll focus on the last four tactics in the enemy's playbook. You know, it is successful coaches and winning teams that always have a playbook. Bill Walsh, the coach of the legendary 49ers Super Bowl winners, advises other coaches, You need to have a plan, even for the worst scenario. It doesn't mean that it will always work. It doesn't mean that you'll always be successful, but you'll always be prepared and at your best. And Lou Holtz, the famous and former Notre Dame football coach, is known for saying life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you respond to it. And you know who else has a plan? The enemy. Satan also has a playbook that he's been using since the dawn of time. And he's up in his game these days because he knows his time is short. In his playbook, he has quite a bag of tricks. But the best way to beat an enemy is to know their plan of attack and their successful strategies. Make no mistake, the enemy is attacking the family unit, he's attacking the church, and he's attacking the homeschooling movement because he knows that these three groups are his fiercest enemies, and he knows we've got his number. We know the truth, we know the victor, and we know how the game ends, and we know who ultimately wins. So Satan will use every tactic in his playbook to wear us down. But don't worry, not only is God on our side, but he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We have an insider view at Satan's playbook. All of Satan's tactics can clearly be seen and studied in the book of Nehemiah. Satan used them all to try and thwart and defeat the rebuilding of the temple and the wall around Jerusalem. Coaches tell their players all the time, there are two kinds of players, winners and losers. Moms, we're already winners. We've read the end of the book and we know how it ends. So we need to start acting like winners. So let's dig deep into the book of Nehemiah. But first, let me set the scene a little. Beginning in chapter 2, we find Nehemiah distressed at the condition of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is described as desolate, it's in ruins, it's consumed with fire. The Jews were even called a reproach, and they were a disgrace to the enemies. And the condition of the people in the city reflected poorly on God. Then it described Nehemiah's reaction to this report. He was deeply troubled, and there was sadness in his heart. Now, the word heart that's used here is lab, which means the inner man, his mind, his will. 
So Nehemiah's heart's desire was to return to Jerusalem, to rebuild the city, to protect the city of his forefathers. He wanted to raise the city so Jews would no longer disgrace God's name. And how many of us are feeling distressed and deeply troubled and have a sadness in our heart about the condition of the world today and about the current state of our educational system? I mean, don't get me wrong. There are millions of hardworking, talented, and dedicated teachers out there, and many of them are my dearest friends. But even they have a hard time fixing the broken system. We're deeply troubled by what we see. The school halls are full, but they're desolate. The curriculum is in ruins, which is leading the minds of the students to be ruined. The gates are broken and the campuses are unsafe. And God is not welcome within the walls of the schools today. Our current school system is consumed with agendas and lies and half-truths. Did you know that most of the U.S. colleges that were founded over 300 years ago were originally Bible-proclaiming schools? I mean, let's just look at the Ivy League schools. Harvard and Yale were originally Puritan. Harvard is named after a Christian minister. Yale was started by a clergyman. And Princeton was Presbyterian. Princeton's crest still says, Under God she flourishes. But these institutions today are a disgrace and reflect God poorly. Sadly, God is not even allowed within their walls anymore. Like Nehemiah, we have a sadness in our heart. We're deeply troubled, and we want more for our kids. Make no mistake about it. The enemy wants the hearts and minds of the next generation. You know, Hitler once said, He alone who owns the youth gains the future. And Lenin once said, give me just one generation of youth and I'll transform the whole world. The enemy knows how important the hearts and minds of our youth are. I truly believe we are raising a generation that will face the hardest battles and the most evil. The enemy is working overtime to reach as many children, teens, and young adults as he can. But like Nehemiah, you and I are not willing to just sit and watch and roll over and take it. Like Nehemiah, we are shouting out, arise and build, and we're trying to encourage others to do the same. And like Nehemiah and the Jews, God's gracious hand is upon us because our heart's desire is God's desire. So how do we defeat our enemy? Well, the first step is to know your enemy. You can't fight an enemy if you don't know who it is. In Ephesians 6.12, it clearly tells us who the enemy is. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The fight is real, and the enemy is real. Satan's ultimate strategy is to make the masses believe he doesn't exist. If there's no enemy to contend with, then why fight and why care? In one of my favorite books, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, it consists of a series of letters from a senior demon named Screwtape to his younger protege, his nephew Wormwood, or the junior tempter. Wormwood's assignment was to damn the soul of a human being known as the patient. In chapter 7, C.S. Lewis writes, In the meantime, we must obey our orders. 
I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. And any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it's an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. We see Satan's hand here. This is his ultimate strategy. Make them believe true evil does not exist. The next step is to know the enemy's playbook. Satan's playbook consists of the seven D's. He uses disproval, discouragement, distraction, distress and fear, division, deception, and doubt. Satan's first tactic, or the first D in his playbook, is disapproval. In Nehemiah 2, verses 17 through 19, we see a list of Nehemiah's neighbors. Sanbalt the Hornite, which is in Samaria, and Sanbalt actually means enemy in secret. There's Tobiah the Ammonite, which is in modern-day Jordan, and then there's Geshem the Arab, and it says that he's serving the Persian king. Well, we also read in the book of Daniel that the messenger was hindered by the prince of Persia. It says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 through 19, that these three men jeered and despised them. In the NIV, it says they were mocked and ridiculed. And in the New Living Translation, it says they scoffed contemptuously. They asked them, what are you doing? You can hear the contempt oozing off the page when you read this. Satan was using disapproval to try and dissuade Nehemiah and his plans to rebuild. And this is true for us. The first tactic Satan uses to convince us not to homeschool is disapproval and mockery. It isn't bad enough we think that homeschooling might be a crazy idea, but when our friends and family think it's crazy too, they jeer, they mock, they ridicule, and sometimes they even ask us, what in the world are you thinking? And in the age of Facebook and Instagram and selfies and social media, we really care more than ever about what people think. Timothy Keller's book, Gospel in Life, he actually lists needing approval as a form of idolatry. Now for me, needing approval can definitely be an idol. I'm a people pleaser. I want people's approval. I hate conflict and I hate rejection. And I was crushed when my friends and family, especially my parents and my in-laws, when they hated the idea that we were going to homeschool. I was crushed because I didn't have their support. Eventually, my in-laws came around because they saw the fruits of our homeschooling. But my mom still hated the idea and thought it was the worst thing ever. Satan knew disapproval is the number one best way to defeat me and to cause me to give up. So he used disapproval of my friends and family to get me to second-guess myself and our decision to homeschool. But a dear friend would always remind me that we only need God's approval, not man's. In 1 Thessalonians 2.4, it says we are not trying to please people, but God. And you know, I love Nehemiah's answer to these three guys. It's in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. So if you want to have victory over defeat, we need to remember God will prosper anything he commands us to do, 
even if others mock us and disapprove of it. So moms, who are the Tobiases and the Gershams and the Sandbolts in our lives? Whose approval are we ultimately seeking? Are we seeking God's or man's? I pray that we have the courage to answer like the Jews did in chapter 2, verse 18. They said, let us start rebuilding and begin this good work. Now, Satan's second tactic, or D in his playbook, is discouragement. He wants to destroy our confidence. We see the second tactic in Nehemiah 4, 1 through 3. They call the Israelites feeble, and they were told that they couldn't do this thing they set their mind to. You know, even the root word of feeble, which is amal, means to be weak or to fail. They even taunted the Jews with, even if a fox walks on top of the wall, it'll fall and crumble. So not only were the Israelites led to believe they were crazy for even thinking they could build the wall, but if they went ahead and tried, they would fail because they weren't good enough. The number one reason I hear moms say won't homeschool is because they can't. They say they're not smart enough, or they're not patient enough, or they're not organized enough. And you know what? They're right. We can't do this homeschooling in our own strength. It's too big of a task, but we can do it with God's strength. So when people ask me, how do you homeschool? I tell them I spend most of my time on my knees. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, it's okay to be weak and imperfect because this allows God to really shine through. People who know me well, they know the only reason our homeschooling has been somewhat successful is only because of God. They know I'm not good enough, and my husband isn't good enough, although he's about as close to perfect as they come. It's only because of Christ, and because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Satan wants us to doubt ourselves. He wants to destroy our confidence, like he tried to do with Nehemiah and with the Jews. You know, there's a sweet little story about an elderly Chinese woman who had two large pots, and each hung on the ends of her pole when she carried it across her neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water. At the end of the long walks from the stream to the house, the cracked pots always arrived only half full. For a full two years, this went on daily, with the woman bringing home only one and a half pots of water. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, but the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its imperfection and was miserable that it could only do half of what the other one was doing. After two years of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke to the woman one day. It said, I'm so ashamed of myself because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to your house. Well, the woman smiled at the pot and said, Did you notice that there are only flowers on your side of the path and not on the other side? That's because I've always known about your flaw. So I planted flower seeds on your side of the path. And every day while we walk back to the house, you water them for me. For two years, I have been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate our table. Without you being just the way you are, there would not be this beauty to grace our house. I love this story. It reminds me that we're all a bunch of cracked pots. It reminds us that the Lord will use our flaws to grow, water, and nourish others. In God's great economy, nothing goes to waste. 
Satan wants us to be afraid and ashamed of our flaws and weaknesses. Don't be afraid of your flaws. Acknowledge them because even a crackpot can create beauty. So if you want to have victory over defeat, we need to remember it's only in our weaknesses that we can find our strength in Jesus. Moms, where are we lacking confidence? Are we filled with self-doubt? Are we hearing negative comments from others? Well, you betcha. But notice Nehemiah's reaction to Satan's tactic of discouragement. He prays in Nehemiah 4.4, Moms, when we feel weak or when we're lacking confidence, is prayer our first response? We need to realize when others spew discouragement our way, it's really their problem, not ours. If God is calling you to homeschool, then they actually have a problem with God and not with you. When feeling discouraged, pray for the mind of Christ. Philippians 4.8 tells us what we should be thinking on. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. What is the result when we follow Philippians 4.8? We have the peace that surpasses all understanding. Satan's third tactic, or D in his playbook, is distraction, or to create confusion and chaos. When we read Nehemiah 4, verses 6 through 8, Nehemiah's quote-unquote neighbor plotted against him, which threw the Jews into confusion. One of Satan's best plays is to keep us busy. If we're too busy with the little things, we can't focus on the important things. If he keeps us distracted with the news, social media, running from one activity to the next, Netflix and binge watching, internet searching, and before COVID-19, working 40 plus hours or two jobs in order to buy more things and do more things. Do you know the word busy, B-U-S-Y, is also an acronym for being under Satan's yoke, B-U-S-Y? He's keeping us busy and distracted with gossip and the need to keep up with the Joneses. Satan is keeping us busy by creating confusion in the family unit and confusion in marriages. He's keeping us busy by creating chaos politically and by creating confusion in our churches. If you want to have victory over defeat, we need to remember to keep our eyes on the prize. We need to look up, not within, and we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. So mom, where is there confusion or chaos in our lives? We need to pray about it and give it to Jesus. What is distracting you and me from our task at hand? Here's a suggestion. List out what you do on a normal day. How much of your day is consumed with emails, text, and posts? I hate my new computer. It reminds me every day how many hours I've spent on the computer and how much of today's time is more than yesterday's. It's very convicting. How much of our time is consumed with driving and waiting? What takes up most of your day, the essentials or the non-essentials? Moms, we can't let Satan keep us so busy that we lose our peace, our joy, and our energy. In Nehemiah 4, verse 6, we see Nehemiah didn't let the distractions get the best of him. It says they continued to build and they worked with all their hearts. They were focused on the task at hand, which was to build the wall. We need to try not to get so busy and so distracted that we forget the most important thing, 
which is to first seek the kingdom of God. The enemy wins if we give in to the distractions. He wins if we let the distractions run our lives. And he wins if we take our eyes off of what really matters. Thank you for hanging out with us and for joining us for this little coffee break. Don't forget to listen to the second part of our Nehemiah series, The Enemy's Playbook. We will learn about the last four tactics that the enemy uses. We also unpack Nehemiah's response to each one and how we can apply those same principles to our lives, to our mission of motherhood, and to our ministry of homeschooling. If this is your first time joining us, you can find us at our website, coffeewithcarry.org. We also have daily devotions and homeschooling tips at our Instagram account, Coffee with Carrie Consultant. If you heard something you liked, then share our podcast or our Instagram and website with a friend who might need a little encouragement, or share it with a friend who's feeling discouraged or defeated. We're praying for you. Stay healthy. God bless, and see you next time.